Hello friends and welcome to Something Borrowed Season 3, Episode 3 with the one and only Neelam Radio Braley. We had Neelam on during lockdown over Instagram Live with a poor internet connection. So it involved her calling me on the phone and performing over speaker held up to my phone. And it was a lot. So it was an absolute pleasure to be able to sit down in the save room with a live studio audience, no less. Um, And I loved the poems that she shared. I love the conversations that we had, and I'm so excited to get into it and let you experience some of that goodness. This is this is how it is now. Something borrowed. We have it live. So if you ever want to come along in Margate, you'll be more than welcome. Otherwise, I promise to keep recording them and putting them out into your ears, wherever you may be. In this episode, Neelam's first poem involves a flip chart, which is quite an exciting prospect for an audio podcast. But I think every time you hear the page being turned over, you could imagine the image that you would associate with that line. Or if you truly want to see it, it is up on YouTube as well. Otherwise, I share my Wellies poem. There's one about dinosaurs, one about funerals. I share a poem for Palestine because I didn't know what else to do. And I'm so excited to let you get into it. So that's what we're going to do. Thank you for listening. I'll be back at the end. Cheers. Bye. Something borrowed by Harry Baker to all of my friends who are watching right now. Thank you so much for being here. I'm in a good mood and you can't guarantee that these days... It was the first time that I was back in a school in person after lockdown. So my first time in over a year physically in the same room as students. It was the first time they'd all been allowed in the same room. So a lot of nervous energy. Wasn't sure what to do. And so I thought, do this poem because it's a poem we can all get behind. It's a love poem, but also I wanted to be cool. So I put dinosaurs in it. Uh, And fairly early on in the poem, something unexpected happens. And this student expressed their delight at this unexpected, surprising thing by loudly exclaiming for everyone else in the room to be able to hear, what is this shit? And it is amazing how quickly I found myself nostalgic for a mute button. Uh, But I would say, by and large, in person is the way to go. So I wanted to share this poem with you, partly as a celebration of being in a room with people who I don't think are going to shout that at me, but also uh, if you did want a fun sort of sub-game during the performance, if you'd like to imagine which point you think a 13-year-old would exclaim (laughs) such a thing, and then maybe just sort of give me a sinister wink or nod. (laughs) I want to say... I love you, but it seems it's not enough because when people say I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff like I'll always have your back or I'm glad I'm not alone or to be honest, I'd say anything so you'll hang up the phone because I'm kind of in the middle of something right now and these Doctor Who box sets ain't going to watch themselves. I want to say I love you, but it seems it's not enough because when people say I love you, it can mean a lot of stuff and all I'm really trying to say is. I want to love you like a T-Rex with a tiny brain, but a massive heart. And if I was a T-Rex, I could hold you in those T-Rex arms and put you from harm because that's dinosaur love. It's the way that you send spines down my spine like a stegosaurus or how just like dinosaurs. No one cares what came before us because I got that love so big it cannot be ignored. Like if you were the dinosaur, everything else seems secondary. Dinosaurs are not mythical creatures, they are legendary. Plus, they're just really cool. 
<laughs> I mean, the thing with dinosaurs is dinosaurs are kind of awesome. One of that, they actually existed. Just my love is real. I ain't talking blindly walking strings attached like Theseus. That's Minotaur love. When this is dinosaur love, this ain't no damsel in distress. Trap princess, dragon slaying quest. Because one, dragons never happen. Two, most women don't need rescuing. Sort of feminist dinosaurs. <laughs> This is less prancing unicorns, more two-ton triceratops or terrifying pterodactyls tearing terror from above. It's dinosaur love. Molten rock and meteoric. Trust me, I got love so old school. It's prehistoric. So if you're into Spielberg or hip-hop with a classic vibe, then we could watch Jurassic Park or listen to Jurassic 5. And if you're like a bone, then I know a place where we could see him. I'm alive to a member of the Natural History Museum. <laughs> I want to say I love you, but that might be awkward. So instead, I'm happy to that state in my head where it cannot go wrong. And if, as time goes on, my dino love dies out as you'd expect when it's extinct, or rather that we remain friends than become exes. But if, somehow, against the odds, my dino love proves so colossal that it stands the test of time perfectly preserved like a fossil, then one day, when you've been left in ruins and need someone to help excavate through them, it won't take an archaeological expert to point you towards me. At that point... I will point out, you're like a Brachiosaurus, because there's no one above you. Then I'll be able to look you in the eyes and say, Thank you so much. Are we ready for our featured act of the evening? That is what I like to hear. I, for a while, did a monthly night in Canterbury. And when I did that, I asked lots of people locally who were the poets I needed to book. And there were two names that kept coming up. One was friend of the show, Helen Seymour. And the other was the fantastic Neelam. To Radio Braley, and I'm so excited for her to come and perform for you, for me to get to listen to her, and also especially because this first section involves some kind of flip chart, and that is something I am absolutely here for. Something <laughs> the video watchers will enjoy, and the audio podcast people can just imagine and wish that they were here. So, can we please put our hands together and welcome to the stage the fantastic Neelam to Radio Braley? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, that, was, that was so beautiful. And I love dinosaurs more than life sometimes. All of my jumpers, except one, had dinosaurs on them. And just, yeah, thank you. That was great. Yeah, great. This is Adrian, everyone. He is an artist and my creative partner. And we are married and in love. And uh, yeah, so this is uh, something old. And it was one of the first... Um, flip chart poems that we created so sometimes Adrian does live drawing and we use also like paint and puppets and all sorts and things um, but for this one it's really special Adrian has pre-drawn the um, images and so we'll be choreographing Lee yeah flipping them <laughs> um, but yeah pre-drawn in 2016 Maybe yeah, so I think so. Old. It is old. Yeah, vintage. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, we didn't have like a kind, we never settled on a title for this one, but um, we, we will just say the old man poem. And it's old, about an old man. So there you go. <laughs> Great. 
Things change when you get older. Sleeves get baggier from hoodies to wrinkly green cardies with the confetti of tissues hidden but ready to be stealthily whipped out to catch a grandson's runny nose. But he didn't have a grandson's nose to hold. Things change when you get older. Houses gain rugs of dust, become muffled, ears plug up and the stairs creak in sympathy for his knees. When he was 18, his hands trembled as he unbuttoned her shirt in the dark. Now he's 80 and his hands tremble in the dark just because. When he was 18, he collected bottles from nights out, built a mountain of cork and memories. Now his bottles have plastic child safety caps with words he has to read through glasses of cough syrup brown. But when things got confusing, he walked with her down the high street and into charity bookshops and antique fairs and cafes that do two-for-one senior citizen discounts. And when that was too much, they took shelter from the busyness in the park. And she still peered at him from under her eyelashes, although they were silver now. They grounded themselves on that bench, worn hands holding each other, worn bench holding them together under apple blossom branches that held up arms and shielded them from the noise and traffic and problems. And her heated hand on his cheek turned his brain fog clear, and he could smile again with pink gums that held false teeth tight like promises. And when she leaned over, her crow's feet vowed to stay perched on the bones of his shoulder for this day and the next and the next. She took all things with her when she died. She had loved his mouth, so took his smile, had loved his voice and left him with silence, had loved his eyes and kept the glint. Have you ever listened to a ticking clock? Have you ever noticed that it gets louder and louder and the seconds start lining up like matchsticks to burn in rows and you start feeling sick, like a safety pin that's been stuck in the pad of your thumb and someone's closed the other end? And you start feeling sick like the moment when you turn around in the sea, feet barely touching the bottom, and you're already swallowing the waves of salt. The seconds crash together and then... nothing. The clock quietens and is barely audible and you find yourself on the floor, struggling to sh slow your breath for some reason. Grief affects time in the strangest of ways. The minutes were shaved off and scattered across the carpet. It built up and when he started having to wade across to reach the bathroom, he left the house. Through the noise of the street, his feet led him to the park bench and he sat down. Hands not knowing what to do, so they fell to his knees and he was a boulder and the bench was a boat washed up against the rocks and he felt too heavy to ever balance. But the sun roasted on the spit of the sky and the sky was blue glass bright and the brightness made the birds sing and the birds made the children laugh and it made it so much worse. How could the world keep going when she wasn't there to hold it? The seasons crumbled into blankness. Then, there was a thing. A grey mop snuffling near his feet. It smelt of pond water and had no collar. The old man looked around, but there was no one searching worriedly or heading his way to apologise for the intrusion. One hand on his knee, the other on the bench arm, he lifted himself up and started to walk away. The mop's pink tongue stuck out and followed him. He grumbled but slowed his pace, apple blossoms beginning to bloom behind him. They got home, 
and as he opened the paint-thin door, the mop shuffled inside first. He grumbled and opened the door wider. He made a bed of blankets and put the chicken he was saving for his sandwich in a bowl with some water and went to bed. The clock seemed to tick quieter that night. In the morning, the man made posters. Found. Small, scruffy, black and grey dog. Not very talkative. Likes chicken. The mop watched him from the kitchen table. He grumbled and tacked a few posters on the trees around town and hoped the rain would soak the paper through or that he'd written his number down wrong. The, the next few days were tense. The slightest tinny noise or ghost knock made the man jump, which would make the mop jump too, and they were two components stuck to a circuit board, and he forced himself not to unplug the phone. Two weeks had passed and no one had rang, as usual. Only this time it felt different. The mop had soaked up some of the fallen hours, thick dust and empty spaces, and the man grumbled and placed his legs at an angle so as to not step on his wagging tail. And as they watched MasterChef together, he felt the corners of his mouth turn upward just a bit. When he was 18, his hands trembled as he unbuttoned her shirt in the dark. When he was 80, his hands trembled in the dark just because. Now he's 83, and his hands tremble as he opens a can of dog food. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. Can we give it up for Neilan, but also for Adrian Serena Brady? Incredible. Thank you. He is an amazing illustrator and uh, also writer too. And actually, he came up with the last lines of that poem, which I'm not mad about. <laughs> but I am a little bit mad about because they're very good lines. <laughs> um, but yes, thank you. And that, that, that was, you know, when you're looking through your old notebooks, this is like one of my oldest ones. And that poem was the one that made me feel sick the least. So <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm told it's about growth. If you look back at your work and you're like, ooh, then you're like, oh, good. It means I'm, I'm doing better now as well. But it's still painful. It's a painful process. Yes. yes thank you. You don't want to look back at your old work and think, oh, wow, I've got worse. Yeah. So yeah. that is the right way around. Um, can we give out one more time for Adrian and for Neelam? That is incredible. Um, do you want to take that mic and then... We can, we can sit or stand or either. So my question for you is, what comes first, the idea or the format, if that makes sense? I think it's the idea first. Um, I usually have some words and, idea, and like an idea of what I want Adrian to do. And then I come up to Adrian and say, I need you to do this thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so for that poem... I, I had the words already written, but I was like, it needs something else. Um, and that's when Adrian like picked like specific images in the poem that really stood out to him uh, and then created those illustrations. Um, and yeah, I think as well, like with the live drawing one, we work on that together. Yeah. Um, and uh, with that, it's like a little bit of both, but it's mostly like I have the words of like the poem first and then, uh, sort of hand it over to Adrian yeah. to, to like yeah, do yeah. something interesting and cool with uh, as well. And we've recently moved to uh, films as well. So we're doing uh, some of Adrian's digital illustrations and some archive footage that we just chop up and then put towards a, a poem, which is a really cool thing to find like vintage footage that's like available online. Uh, 
and uh, sort of like re repurpose it and recycle it to yeah. to fit with with my poems as well, which is really cool. But yeah, I love I love working with like words and something else, whether that's art or music or dance. Um, yeah, and that's something I kind of want to carry on with. Incredible. My other question is, what is it like having your creative partner also be your life partner? <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's, um, I think we both tend to balance each other out as well. I think when, whenever it's like performance time, um, for leading up to it, I'm usually the one that like, that's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. We've got this. It's all right. And then like the hour before, I'm like, is it, is it okay? Is it all right? And then that, that's when Adrian usually is like, no, no, it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we work really well together. And um, yeah, it, it is like, it's really cool to have someone to, to like bounce off those ideas with and kind of create something really cool uh, and beautiful as well. But it's just, it's also a test of patience uh, as well. But, um, but yeah, you know, I'm very grateful and, also, it just means I have an in-house illustrator that I can just call <laughs> whenever I need. So, yeah. Incredible. Thank you so much. You. Um, are you up for me doing something new? Yes, Fantastic. please do. Uh, so this, I think this is my oldest new poem, uh, but it could probably count as my newest old poem, uh, in that <laughs> I finished writing it just as my book came out. And so it meant that when I was doing my tour of, of my new book uh, I would do this poem as well because I felt new and exciting and people would ask me if it was in the book and I would say no and then I would say that that book took me eight years to do so it might be a while before it's in print but I thought uh, I could perform it tonight and make the most of it being filmed so at least I can then show people that to get them through the next seven years uh, <laughs> but this poem it came out of uh, I think I found Lockdown very difficult. I know a lot of people did for, for many reasons. Um, but one was that I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to think I can't perform in the same way. But what I can do is, is be at home and write. And I thought this is when I will create many, many masterpieces. And actually, when I then couldn't do that either, I just sort of fell apart in, in quite a broad way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But this was the first thing that I wrote coming out the other side of that. Uh, and it was essentially after having had some therapy as well and, and taking that pressure off. It meant that the, the fun could come back through. Because I think even when I'm writing about more raw or vulnerable things, it is such a joyful act for me to create and to make something that otherwise wouldn't exist. Uh, and so you're probably all thinking, what was the hefty, weighty topic you decided to tackle after 18 months of not being able to write? And the answer is, of course, Wellington Boots. Uh, <laughs> so this poem is called Wellies. I love wellies. That is a statement of fact. Footwear designed for making a splash. No need for showing off status or cash, no laces or faff, just I like big boots and I cannot lie, these babies got back. <laughs> On first glance, as basic as paying your tax, yet that's still more outrageous than Bezos can hack. They are sensible, functional, playful and fab. Put them up against tennis shoes, it's game set and match. They just do what they do. No overthink to their thunk. All soul and no tongue, like a Tibetan monk. <laughs> it's like the Dalai Lama's dabbling as a farmer 
They're more concerned with balance than Balenciaga. <laughs> From barnyards through to festivals, so grand is their appeal. The only footwear guaranteed to be outstanding in its field. While veteran shoemakers may disagree, I think it's worth a mention. It's just a load of old cobblers. So pay him no attention. <laughs> you could be winging it or wanging it. The welly is the one. If you've got booties on your footies, chances are you're having fun because any welly-based activity is celebrating life. You don't wear wellies to a funeral. So I might ask you to for mine. <laughs> they are a statement piece. That statement is, I don't want soggy feet. <laughs> and beyond that, they can be anything that you want them to be. So to my godson, who's got some or covered in dinosaurs, or my niece who underneath her knees has nothing but unicorns. As you grow older and the world begins to open up to you, you might expect that it's reflected in your choice of welly boot well for the ladies who are maybe looking for a fun design. I have seen bumblebees or daisies or some multicolored stripes. And for the fellas, if you want to make your mark upon the scene, the options are a fetching black or an incredibly dark green. Because what could be more masculine than blending in with dirt? <laughs> like if you don't see me, you might not see I'm filled with pain and hurt. And if you don't conform to gender norms or simply try ignore them, if you're anything above size six, you're destined to be boring. Because if they're just going to get muddy, what is the point of even trying? Why have dreams when just like us, they're only going to end up dying? If you never dip your toe in, then there's no concern with drying. Who needs waterproofs? If you can simply stop yourself from crying. I mean, God forbid that one might have a form of self-expression. Why not blend in instead with one in eight that have depression? Why be happy when you could be a statistic or a lesson? Why do anything ever if it starts to make you question? If we protect ourselves from all those risky things emotions do. It can be easy to forget that joy is an emotion too. And so is heartbreak. So is grief. So is happiness and rage with this whole spectrum that we miss out on if we don't engage. And I am angry. And I've tried so very hard to keep it in. And I am lonely. And I've tried so very hard to keep it in. And I am tired. And I've tried so very hard to keep it in. But we are not wellies made with an impermeable skin. You see, it did not do me good stood in a field of deepest green when it's a basic human need to simply feel like you've been seen and so even if this world insists it's safer to be duller i would rather take the risk and live life playfully in color sure enough last christmas morning wrapped up underneath the tree a pair of size 10 welly boots as bright and yellow as can be they bring a whole new meaning to saving up for a rainy day because if the skies are gray i'll be walking on sunshine either way and when it's messy and it's muddy, and I don't know where to begin. I'd still rather be out in the rain than trying to rein it in. And if I ever go on Dragon's Den, this poem is my pitch. But until then, next time you'll see me as I'm climbing out that ditch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, my related question for you was if you had to have one item of clothing as a sort of line of merch. Yeah. <laughs> mine would be wellies now. I've just <laughs> attached myself to that and I'm, I'm committed for life. What would yours be? I think some dungarees. Yeah. 
they're really fun. Very strong. And as I'm growing older, I'm like, I really like them for some reason. <laughs> they're great. <laughs> but it's like the same energy as well. Also, that poem is so beautiful. That was, yeah, stunning. And literally yesterday, I think, I think it was yesterday, in, in Sainsbury's, I saw like this amazing pair of wellies. And I was like, should I? And I was like, nah, it's, it's a bit much. I've got wellies. They're like, they're like dark blue and they're, they're wellies, but they're not, they're not the Sainsbury's wellies, yeah. which were like rainbows and unicorns. But it's one of those purchases that you're just like, yeah, I just, I, I could, but I, I don't need it. But I wanted it. I think you and might that, need it. that poem just said everything. So I think I'm going to go back. Yes. <laughs> yes. I approve. Amazing. Would you be up for sharing something new with us? Yes, please. So my new thing is going to come from my book, which was released uh, this week last year. And uh, it's still new. And as Adrian said, like, you wouldn't call a baby that's one years old, old. So, <laughs> so why call a poem and a book? So yeah. <laughs> Um, so this one is called Dear Watching. It was one of the last poems to be added to this book. And um, incredible poet Jacob Samler Rose helped to mentor me, uh, especially with this poem, to kind of like get the feeling of it right. So, um, yeah, and I'd love to share it with you. And I've never performed it out loud in public as well. So that's also new. Um, if you'd like to close your eyes, then you can and imagine, but you don't need to. Um, but yeah, it's called Deer Watching. Tall tree branch antlers, coiled sinews, amber eyes like flint rock struck beneath cold hands. My palms prickle on the steering wheel, the car hood clicks in the unexpected stop. Thinning pale arms of birch halo him. Gold foil of leaves sift down, landing near silent hooves. His muscles contract under red-brown fur. He clips across white road markings, not breaking eye contact until the other side. Head fixing towards the swallowing woods, thick underbrush parting for his body. He kicks off into the forest, splattering ribbons of mud and brittle leaves behind him. I almost bite my tongue into, watch the shimmering space where he was, listen until my heart is the only thing left still galloping. How was it for you creating a book? I guess, again, thinking back to the fact that you've worked with arts and music and dance, to have just words on the page, not mm -hmm. just words on the page, but to have that as the way that people are primarily taking it in. I know that most stuff I write is with a name to speak out loud, so then putting yeah. it in a book feels like a separate enterprise. Um, how was it for you? Yeah, it was good. It was It was interesting. It was kind of going back to things that I'd studied at uni with like structure and kind of coming back to like what that means and how a poem can look on the page. But it was a really cool thing to just dive straight into it. Um, and a lot of these poems are like brand new or things that have, I've had for a little while that I then reworked for the page. Um, but it was also about keeping my voice as well. So not stripping it down completely. And I read that one because it is quite different to the rest of the poems. I'm very like, the words go on and on and on. But like with um, with that one, it was a bit more like clipped and it's just about images. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting process. And 
I think like it's it is also a hard thing as well to like pick through and have other people look at your work and kind of come back and I sort of opened myself to different like mentors and some were helpful and some were really not but you know uh, it's it's still about coming back to yourself and being like I know that my voice is important and everyone has like a specific like their voice as well and it's not to lose that um but yeah and it was it was amazing having like the before we sent it to the printer I wanted to get like a draft copy so in like the upstairs studio I put like each page of my book just printed and um, spread out across the floor and it was amazing it was just like oh my gosh all my words (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah and but the good thing was as well with a book it means you can put things into a structure and I had like a real flow so the book is separated into five sections and it charts a journey from like the goldenness of childhood into trauma back out into hope and wildness and reclaiming as well I love a book with sections just <laughs> as an aside yeah uh, I once read uh The Circle by Dave Eggers and I was furious because it didn't have any chapters Oh, no. So it's just one, huge, and I I don't like sort of just leaving it halfway through. So if it's got chapters plus sections, that is the dream. You'll be happy. You read a bit, you feel like you've earned a break, you have a cup of tea, you come back yeah. and you can just sort of digest it in that form. So yeah. I, I fully endorse that. Thank you. Um, I've read Ulysses, so sure. just sorry, I just had to put that down. There's a big thick book with like just a stream of consciousness throughout the whole thing. And it's just like so much. He's like, now I'm eating kidneys. Now I'm putting my snot on a rock. Now my wife is, oh, she's okay, but you know. And it's just like, it's just that for like ages, like hundreds and hundreds of pages, but I had to read it for uni. And I was like, I will never do this ever. <laughs> I've not read it and I don't want to. Good, yeah. <laughs> but I really enjoyed that summary. And Thank I imagine you. that's most of what goes on. Yes. So yes. I just, yeah. I might start quoting that to people. I'll yeah. be like, oh, Thank this you. is just like in yes. Ulysses. When he puts and then his, no one will know. Yeah. It's not on a rock. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was speaking to a friend of mine, fantastic poet, Vanessa Kazule, And she is working on a collection of essays at the moment. And she was saying... What she wants is an editor who is really going to push her and who's going to like tear her work apart and through that make her a better writer. And even her saying that made me uncomfortable. Yes. What, what I want <laughs> is an editor who's going to tell me if I've spelt something wrong. Yeah. But look, ultimately, I am a misunderstood genius and it's all going to be okay. And I am, I am so precious and fragile. And... <laughs> I take any feedback really personally. Um, But it sounds like having different people, even if some are unhelpful, I think sometimes that can help you realise what you don't want to do. It's just about having options as well. And and yeah, I I find that approach, a lot of people think that, right, it's something really new. I'm going to break you down and build you up. And it's like, that never works. You just break you down and then you're done. And then, I mean, that's what happened to me. And then I couldn't write for six months. So, you know, (laughs) but then it like, it it like changed and evolved and I had different people. But like, I think it's really important. Like that's on my access rider now as well of just being like, I really appreciate sensitivity. And like, this is what I kind of want in terms of like mentoring because it's important to tell people sort of like where your boundaries are as well even if it's like oh it's but it's poetry but it's like yeah but it's also I'm a person and like (laughs) um but yeah it's like 
yeah, doing different things. Having someone like throw one approach at you is great, but also it sort of needs to be done with like respect and sensitivity. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to read the book. Um, I am going to do something borrowed now. Uh, This feels heavy, but uh, based on what is happening in Israel and Palestine, I wanted to use this to borrow a poem from Rafif Ziada, who is an amazing uh, Canadian-Palestinian poet. uh, And she wrote this in 2011. uh, And it breaks my heart that it's still relevant. Uh, And what has been happening has been awful on both sides. But I was on a Zoom call uh, last night uh, getting updates from from people in Gaza. And during that call, they found out that a hospital had been bombed and, and 500 people were had died and the other largest hospital has just had its electricity cut off and so loads more will die and to see the rhetoric of of our world leaders around this is uh really hard and i haven't really had any words but thankfully other people do uh and so this refif wrote when she was in Gaza and she was preparing for a TV interview and she had learned all of these facts and statistics that she could do. And then the presenter asked her, the first question they said was, don't you think it would be easier if you just didn't teach your children to, to hate? Uh, and that sort of floored her. And, and so she wrote this off the back of it. And I won't do it justice, but I'll try. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre that had to fit into sound bites and word limits. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre that had to fit into sound bites and word limits filled enough with statistics to counter measured response. And I perfected my English and I learned my UN resolutions. But still, he asked me, Miss Yada, don't you think that everything would be resolved if you would just stop teaching so much hatred to your children? Pause. I look inside of me for strength to be patient, but patience is not at the tip of my tongue as the bombs drop over Gaza. Patience has just escaped me. Pause. Smile. We teach life, sir. Rafif, remember to smile. Pause. We teach life, sir. We Palestinians teach life after they have occupied the last sky. We teach life after they have built their settlements and apartheid walls. After the last skies, we teach life, sir. But today, my body was a TV'd massacre made to fit into sound bites and word limits. And just give us a story, a human story. You see, this is not political. We just want to tell people about you and your people, so give us a human story. Don't mention that word apartheid and occupation. This is not political. You have to help me as a journalist to help you tell your story, which is not a political story. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre. How about you give us a story of a woman in Gaza who needs medication? How about you? Do you have enough bone-broken limbs to cover the sun? Hand me over your dead and give me the list of their names in 1,200 word limits. Today, my body was a TV'd massacre that had to fit into sound bites and word limits and move those that are desensitised to terrorist blood. But they felt sorry. They felt sorry for the cattle over Gaza. So I give them UN resolutions and statistics and we condemn and we deplore and we reject. And these are not two equal sides, occupier and occupied. And a hundred dead, two hundred dead and a thousand dead. 
And between that war crime and massacre, I vent out the words and smile, not exotic, not terrorist. And I recount, I recount a hundred dead, a thousand dead. Is anyone out there? Will anyone listen? I wish I could wail over their bodies. I wish I could just run barefoot in every refugee camp and hold every child. Cover their ears so they wouldn't have to hear the sound of bombing for the rest of their life the way I do. Today, my body was a TV massacre. And let me just tell you, there's nothing your UN resolutions have ever done about this. And no soundbite, no soundbite I come up with, no matter how good my English gets. No soundbite, no soundbite, no soundbite, no soundbite will bring them back to life. No soundbite will fix this. We teach life, sir. We teach life, sir. We Palestinians wake up every morning to teach the rest of the world life, sir. Um, thanks very much. Uh, That's so powerful. Yeah. I didn't want to just then ask you a sort of related question about your thoughts on the Middle Eastern conflict, but uh, <laughs> I guess I was thinking about how in some moments I see stuff as massive as that and think, what is the point of writing poems? Mm. And then I come across poems like that and I think it's the most important thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I guess I'm asking, where do you fit on that scale? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or how do you fit in terms of it sometimes feeling futile or not? Is, is that something you find? Yeah, I find it difficult because it's, I think as a poet, you want to be the voice as well. And that's really important. I sort of don't want to write other people's stories for them, but then you want to kind of just like make people more aware. And Andrew Gibson is a poet I really love, um, based in the, in the US, a non-binary poet. And they, uh, one of their poems was about like my bones thinking that these words don't really matter. And then someone like taking their own life or other like horrible things happening. And then my bones are like, actually, yeah, write these poems. Cause everyone thinks that they're alone. And then we read stuff and we're like, Oh, we're not, it's okay. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's really important as well. And like bringing people together and us just hearing that experience. Cause I didn't, I didn't know about this poet and yeah, yeah, yeah. now I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and look them up yeah. and like see. And that's like really yeah. important as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be like, Oh, I'm supposed to also have an opinion on everything and then be like the one to talk about it on social media and things as well. But also it, it it shouldn't be that it's performative as well. And that you're like, oh, well, I have to say something about this. So I'm just going to like put my two pence in. Like, yeah. yeah, it's like things that are important. But yeah, I think also like highlighting people who are in these situations, who, who yeah. it is their story as well to like yeah. let them, yeah, making sure that they can use their voice and giving them platforms instead of like other people, yeah, telling their stories for them. Yeah. I think as well, uh, in terms of that thing of feeling like you have to, or there's an expectation to have an informed opinion about something mm -hmm. or for a lot of people, not even informed, but I think it takes me ages to write my poems. So yeah. if I tried to write something that was 
topical and current events by the time I'd finished it I think yeah <laughs> wouldn't be I mean I, I say that an example is I've just finished a song about Greta Thunberg and Andrew Tate that was almost a year ago yeah. and it's a it's a cracking song but <laughs> I've still not recorded it or made a video so by the time it comes out I think it can sort of celebrate the anniversary maybe of the event and yeah. maybe that's my way of of being current yeah. uh but yeah I absolutely hear that um Thank you. Thank you. Uh, are you up for doing something, Boris? Yes. Wonderful. So I want to share, I'm really excited about sharing this. When, when Harry asked me, this was the only poem that I was like, yes, I'm going to share this. And it's not even mine, but um, I'm so excited about it. So it's by Caleb Femi. He's an amazing Nigerian-British poet. And uh, this is from uh, his Dancing Words film called Wishbone. And it was released in 2018. And uh, another incredible poet, Tembi Mvula, uh, sent it to me and was like, this is really cool. And it's also contemporary dance and poetry and music. And the video is so beautiful. And it's just inspired me like ever since. Um, and so this morning I wrote out the transcript of the video because there wasn't like a written copy anywhere. Um, so that was a bit of a brag, but it wasn't really. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really recommend like you to see the the film as well so with the dance in it but I just wanted to show you share with you the words of it because I, I love it so much so this is Wishbone um, by Caleb Femi when the night is purple any face could be yours take a past version of yourself when your mother was a wishing well father was a rusty coin and they dance like everything that falls through water looks like it's dancing and your name was the softest point in a wishbone. Say it and jump into flight, you frail bird escaping out the ear of a snare trap. You cunning, wicked, good. This is the version of you that survives water. Thick air, brick, boredom. The witness to what a hungry knight spews up on this estate, langman, knife man. Stand firm in the legs, molten iron in the belly, keeping your chest a night vigil. So anything mispronouncing your name is blaspheming. Isn't this the version you'd rather be? Climbing out the window on a Friday night, grounded or not, two-stepping till two o'clock, until new light hemorrhages through the walls, ain't this the version? You boy of a thousand boys who lost his face like it was another, was another boy's, in a supermarket aisle, in the throat of a foreign window, down, down the drainpipe of icy free. Any face could be yours tonight. Pick. This one says your furniture to an ICU. This one says I see you looking fresh to life. No, not to death. This one says, see you tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow, boy. Thank, Thank you. you so much for that. Um, this, this is my favourite bit of the show, which is weird because I invite people because I love their poems yeah. and then I get excited when they do other people's. But I think <laughs> seeing... See, I love Caleb's work. I think, like, yeah, dream guests for this show who haven't been on already. Caleb is right up there. Mm. It's sort of Caleb, pre Vanessa, and then maybe Robbie Williams <laughs> in that order. Uh, but I think I I hear his voice in his writing. Yeah. And so to then hear so it through your voice is, is stunning. So thank you oh, so thank much you. for sharing that. Thank you. Uh, I had the music in my head while I was saying it. But, like, yeah, it's just so beautiful. And it's like everything I want to do and more with dance as well. It's just, oh, that tells like another story through it. 
but yeah, it's beautiful. And he's written a book called Poor and it won the Forward Prize, I think it was recently. And yeah, incredible. That, that was his debut yeah. book as well. So highly recommend. Um, and is the film available online? Yeah, it's on YouTube. It's, it's just Wishbone. there. Come this on. beautiful glistening thing. Come on. So yeah. for the podcast listeners, I'll post a link in the description. Yay. For the live audience, <laughs> search Wishbone on yeah. the internet. Yeah. Uh, plus Caleb Femi. Um, amazing. I've got one more poem to do. Yes, uh, and it's something blue. And uh, it's written in blue pen. So that counts. But also, yes! <laughs> also there is more of a link. Uh, and it, it links a bit to um, what Leanne did in the open mic. Uh, I have been to a, a few funerals recently, uh, and they were both funerals of, of people I only knew later on in their life. And, and I, I sort of got to, got to love them in that version of themselves. And, and being at their funeral and hearing people have known them throughout different stages of their life and there being these these multiple versions of ourselves that exist but also these common threads through of of someone having a kind of particular sense of humor or or being known for being gentle and and i and i loved hearing that um and also uh it it's a strange one because a lot of people say that they they hate funerals and i can understand why uh, and so it feels weird to say that I really enjoyed both of them. Uh, but I love, uh, I love people telling each other they love them. Uh, and, and I love that Leanne did that while your friend is in front of you rather than waiting till they're dead. Uh, um, and all of this is to say, all of this is to try and justify what I've done. Cause what I've basically done is I've written a poem planning my own funeral. Uh, slash what I would like to happen when I die. Uh, and I thought if I just sort of put it on record now, then hopefully it won't be for a while, but people can refer back to this for sort of instructions of what to do. <laughs> instructions upon my death. Ideally, I would like a hundred benches. Every single one of them facing the sea. If that's too much faff, I'd settle for the one somewhere in Margate. Somewhere you can come and sit and think and be. And I don't need a fancy pot to keep my ashes. Just find a decent spot where there's a breeze. So the next time someone gasps at all the wonder in the world, a part of them is breathing in a part of me. <laughs> and at my funeral, I'd like there to be sunflowers. A truly inconvenient amount. For I too have spent a lifetime searching for the light and I don't see a reason why that should stop now. Wear what you want. If it were me, I'd go for trainers or wellies. <laughs> Something comfortable and colourful to match. For as it was foretold by the prophet Jamie Tart, dress shoes are for muggles and for twats. <laughs> for the reading, I'd like Erin's poem about final moments. Maybe this poem should be read for context too. <laughs> For the music, nothing short of a full-throated sing-along of my favourite song, Dynamite by Teo Cruz. <laughs> For the food, just keep it veggie. For the drink, serve up Negronis. If I pretend to like them, you can do the same. <laughs> for the wake, if people want to chat, then I am all for that. But just in case, make sure a, cor a corner's stocked with games. And don't let anyone apologise for crying. It is honestly my favourite thing to do. <laughs> 
Just make sure everybody knows how much I loved being alive. The only thing that I loved more was loving you. Speaking of which, if you are free, then I would love for you to be there. But if you can't because you're dead, that's not your fault. <laughs> to be honest, neither of us quite makes sense without the other. I still think we'll die together like a cult. And if anybody says I have gone to a better place, that is a kind and very well-intentioned lie. For there can be no better place than in a room with all my friends. Just promise we'll do it again the other side. Side note, let's also do this loads before I die. Mm -hmm. And by the time it comes around, maybe I'd hate it. I'll live for ages and my taste will change with time. But one thing that I know that I will always find amazing is what a thing it is to live a life. P.S. Let's also do this loads before we die. Thank so you incredible. Uh, that poem's at the sort of new raw stage where I can't look anyone in the eye while I do it or I'll start crying. So yeah. that's why I sort of stare intently at my notebook. But... <laughs> Thank you for, for yeah, yeah, for being a part of that. Um, Could I ask something? Yes. I heard Dynamite in there, but what would be your funeral song? Uh, or one of the songs at your funeral? I, so to explain Dynamite, uh, if you don't know it, you're in for a treat on your way home. But it <laughs> is one of the most wholesome, like, dance club bangers that there is. I think a lot of club songs are about sort of like having sex with someone and that can be a wholesome activity but this <laughs> song the hook goes i want to celebrate and live my life and i think that's just i that's just such a nice thing for someone to sort of scream in a club yeah. uh, and that that extra wholesome energy uh one of the lyrics is i want to do 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 just what the fuck i came here to do 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 <laughs> And I think, yeah, that's what I want to do, 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 do. So that one's in there. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I think I would have uh, Stormzy, Blinded by Your Grace, uh, oh, yes. because it's stunning. Um, and also it's the song that me and Grace walked down the aisle to. So sort of assuming we're having a joint funeral after our day. Yes, yeah. Uh, it just feels right. <laughs> Uh, can I ask you the same question? Yeah, you what can. What was yours? Although it's also wedding related. So I um, would have Move On Up by Curtis Mayfield <sighs> because it was the song that I was playing when me and Adrian were signing our registry for our wedding. And also it's in Bend It Like Beckham, which is my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, and that film is set in Southall where I grew up, like literally on my high street. So I'm like... And, and yeah, so twofold, but that would be, and also move on up. I don't know where I'm going to be going after oh, I die, but I hope that, that would be great. Yes. <laughs> Again, not sure what your other plans are, but yeah, if no. you're sort of in a coffin descending and then it starts to come back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be huge. Yeah, it's just a bouncy castle at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In time with the music, yeah. incredible. Great. Would you go for the 13 minute version or no, the radio edit? I think I'd just do this, the radio edit. Yeah. And then people, if they want to listen to the full one, they can go on their way home as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely yeah. endorse that. Yeah. Incredible. Thank you. <laughs> um, are you up for sharing something, please? Yes. Wonderful. 
So this is also from my book, and um, it's about weddings. Yes. So the reverse. Is it the reverse of funerals, or is that birth or childbirth? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, Actually, Nell is an amazing person, and we're talking about weddings and things that go wrong as well. But uh, with this poem, I was thinking about like rituals and ceremonies, and uh, this isn't about our wedding. But um, yeah, it's just the idea that when people get married, it's like a whole family thing, and everyone's involved as well. So I was thinking about that. Um, and double whammy because weddings, something blue, yeah. and it has the word blue in it. So I win. So yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So yeah, union, my last one. We married with coins over our eyes and a red veil over our heads to shield us from early death or buy our way back to each other if necessary. Our matching shifts were blue and white brocade and stitched neatly into the hem our ancestors' teeth, gifted for good luck. Grandmother walked in procession, carried a quarter of the heavy cloth, her thick gold rings knotted on brown paper hands. She'd been bench-pressing bundles of scarves for three months in preparation. Grandfather cradled pink blessings of garlands threaded on white string. Throughout the day, he would place more garlands around his neck until his body receded and he became a mountain of flowers. Our parents covered the wedding urn in a white tea towel, cracked it underfoot, then mended it together, filled the chasms with silver. We could only marry when they'd finished, but they'd been practicing for weeks, becoming efficient and artful without losing spontaneity. Our mothers delegated well. Your father sorted the blood from the pottery, mine melted his necklace. With a newly repaired urn by our side, finally you held six arrowheads between your lips and I used the shafts to make a fire. We threw in our sticks of cinnamon, the spices becoming infused in the veil, honey, smoke, constancy, to be shared later with our mouths, the silver coins cooling on the bedside table, just in case we should need them. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. for, For all of it. Um, I every time I do one of these, I think it's my favourite, and I'm aware that we've got a previous guest in the audience. So yeah, don't say. Not making eye contact, but this uh, <laughs> was exactly what I needed, and I think uh, judging by people in the room, they enjoyed it as well. So, can we give a massive round of applause yeah. for me? And of course, to Harry Baker. <laughs> And of course, a massive thank you to you for listening, wherever you may be. I hope you've enjoyed that. I will keep doing this forever if I can. If you want to get in touch, if you have any guests you would like to see on the show, if there's anything you would recommend we do differently, whatever it is, it's always nice to hear from you. But otherwise, stay safe, stay classy, and I will be with you via your ear holes next month. Cheers. Bye. Something borrowed by Harry Baker To all of my friends who are watching right now Thank you so 